So yeah, we're gonna see some stuff. Pink princess crown. <laughs> That's a teddy bear. <laughs> Looks like a giant potato. It is a potato. No, it's terrifying. <laughs> Never seen this much plastic in one place since I visited Beverly Hills in 2014. That was so good. What? Where did that come from? What? Who Bever is this guy? Who is this comedian up here? <laughs> Somebody took Boy and Slat. Everybody panic. Welcome to Catching Up and welcome to Guatemala. I am on the real Las Vacas right now with somebody that doesn't get out into the field as often as, as he probably would like from what I've been able to tell. Our very own Boyan Slat. Boyan, welcome. What are you doing you. out here? Yeah, so it's been an eventful week. We uh, have been meeting many of the stakeholders involved with this river project here in Guatemala. And we've also been visiting this site where we're going to, or where we actually are constructing the, the interceptor solution now. And yeah, it's just been really mind-blowing to see this place. I've never seen anything like this. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the heaviest polluting river in the world. And yeah, I'm just super, well, shocked on one hand to, to see this, but also very excited to, to know that we will soon be intercepting all of it and preventing it from reaching the Caribbean Sea. When you look around at all of this, like it's, you can't put this really into words. I mean, you can say, oh, it's covered in plastic bottles, but What's your first impression when you saw this? Yeah, so it's it's really hard to, to comprehend to see this amount of trash in, in, in one place. I've never seen anything like it and it's um, it, it's it's profoundly sad and I think it's even more sad if you realize what a beautiful country it is where you're you're in and you see you know, rainforest, forests, you see um, beautiful valleys and mountains and volcanoes and then you look down at this river and surely there are literal garbage dumps that are cleaner than, than this river. It's just really sad. Does it ever make you stop and think about like, okay, so when you were a 16 year old kid scuba diving in Greece, seeing more plastic than fish, what if you would have said, I want to take a holiday to Guatemala City and go hike down the Rio Las Vacas? What do you think you could have started then? <laughs> that made me feel like a loser. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like this is amazing. Like, yeah. No, so obviously I had that experience in, uh, in Greece with the, the scuba diving and seeing more plastic bags than fish. I mean, that was so clean and pristine compared to, to this site. So, yeah. I think it would be good if more people could see this and realize what a messy place this is. How important is it for you to come out and see this stuff firsthand? Like, you know, throughout the last years, you're busy, you're doing, you're doing a lot of mm. other stuff. You don't get the opportunities to come out here as much as like somebody on the research side or the op side. But when you come out here or like when we were on the Klang and you get to actually see it and smell it firsthand, what does it give you more inspiration? Sure, so it's, 
it's always quite abstract to think of these problems in terms of numbers. I mean, obviously numbers are very useful, but to really be here and see it, it's, um, it really gives a, a different kind of understanding of, of the situation. And yeah, so it's, it's good to occasionally leave the office, leave the laptop and just see the problem with your own eyes. It, um, you know, your, your mind starts working and you get all these new ideas and, and inspiration and, and motivation as well. It's, um, you know, for some people it might be depressing to see this, but I think it's also you know, knowing that we can stop this from reaching the oceans, I think is a, and we will be taking it out and removing it. I think that's quite a, quite something to look forward to. This river is not like a Klang or not like a Rio Ozama. And when you think of the interceptor that we have in each of those rivers as are the spaceship, the, the normal interceptor, looking at all of this plastic, it would be impossible for one of those to make a difference in this river. So where are we at with the interceptor program? Yeah, so to be successful, we need to be in the right rivers with the right solutions. And of course, every river is different. So of course, we, we want to develop our solutions to be scalable, to be applicable to many rivers around the world. But having one solution applicable to all the rivers, of course, that's really difficult, would probably not achieve the most optimal result. So that's why we are in the process of developing a portfolio, a family of interceptor solutions, where whenever we visit a, a river, of course, the first question is, is it really one of the heaviest polluting rivers in the world? You know, if yes, then the second question is, okay, what's the best way to, to tackle it? And that really depends on, on the circumstances. You know, is it a tidal river? Is it like a constant stream of plastic or is it very does it fluctuate a lot between seasons and, and days? It, how wide is the river? How deep is the river? All these questions really determine what the right solution is for that particular river. And in the case of Guatemala, it's, it's a very uh, particular situation where we're actually quite upstream. We're not at the mouth of the river. The, the plastic enters the river here uh, on a flesh flood basis. So um, so most of the year there's no plastic flow, but then during the rainy season you see the um, you basically see these flash floods bringing a, a tsunami of plastic into this into this valley and the amounts of plastic are just so large that a standard interceptor would be full in a matter of seconds and that's then I'm actually being optimistic. It's uh, it, It's really crazy like behind me I estimate that's maybe two million kilos of plastic just sitting here waiting to be transported to the Caribbean Sea. And this is just it's a small part of what's, what's flowing through here. A couple of years ago, you and I stood out on a pier in Compton staring at Interceptor 004. Mm -hmm. And you said that the coming year was going to be make or break for the ocean cleanup. Yeah, I said that. You did? Yeah. How do you feel about that now, where we are getting ready to deploy numerous interceptors? Tell us what's coming up on the ocean side and, and just where we are as an organization and how you feel about this all now. 
So 2021 is a, is a really important year for the ocean cleanup on all fronts, really. It's, it's where we hope to see everything come together. It's, uh, so in oceans, of course, we've done many years of researching the problem, developing the technology, iterating on it. And now, yeah, finally, we, we think we have sort of a very robust concept where we hope to, to really show we can clean up the, the plastic at, at scale. So deploying that, seeing whether that works, and then if it does, really starting the, the, the cleanup operation, I think that, that will be a huge turning point for what we're doing on the side of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And then when it comes to rivers, it's, I think similar, it's, it's a very important year. So we have a few deployments, they take out substantial amounts of plastic, but I think on one hand, making sure that we can do that in a scalable way, that we've cracked the nuts when it comes to the, the, the model of how we scale this, what partners we use. I think that's one important thing because you can just see how much effort it is to, to set up each of these projects. Ultimately, we need to think much more in terms of how do we, how do we go from 10 to 100 to 1,000. But of course, first doing these 10 really well. Of course, that's the other side. It's about the quality of deployments. Of course, when you think of rivers, unlike with oceans, with rivers, efficiency is really you know, a key design driver because you basically only have one chance to to catch the plastic. Once it's gone, it's gone. It's in the ocean. So. So making sure that you really uh, have the high uptime, the high efficiency of your barriers and uh, you know, the reliability of your, your cleanup operation and that you cover as much of the river as possible. Those parameters are really important for these first deployments to, yeah, to, to get to quality first before we really scale up as fast as possible. So, so yeah, I, I, I would say I feel like I sound a bit like a broken record, but it does again feel like a, a make or break year where we are investing a lot in the return to the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. We're investing a lot in um, scaling to more than 10 rivers by the end of the year. So, yeah, there's many things that uh, need to go well this year. But a lot of things have gone well already. And when you think about some of the partnerships that we have had and that we've announced over the last few months, looking out at all of these bottles, there are a lot of red caps and red bottles. And we recently announced a partnership with Coke. What, what has that been like and the response from our supporters about this uh, partnership? Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the probably most interesting and challenging decisions that we've we've made so far because of course you know when you look behind me there are a lot of coke bottles between this so the estimate is there's roughly three percent of marine litter carries a coca-cola brand and obviously we have recovered many of them in our interceptors that are already operational so when coke approached us two years ago because we had to think hard about, you know, does this make sense? And ultimately we figured, you know, if it's not just 
they don't just provide funding for you know, part of the 15 deployments that we're going to do together but they are also actually rolling up their sleeves by helping us with things like government affairs, uh, waste management, selecting the right partners on the ground, because those are really the things that we've been struggling with in the past year or two, setting up these first projects, uh, first interceptor projects. That's always the bottleneck to being able to scale. So you know, we're good at research, we're good at engineering, developing the solutions, we're good at building the, the network and support uh, but really the operations the execution in the countries themselves you know you we're, we're just basically too small for that we're just a hundred people team so that's why we work with partners to to help us with that and so when coca-cola approached us two years ago with an offer to help with it being not just funding but also this um, operational support uh, of course we had to think hard about it because we really saw in it a, a way to accelerate our work. But on the other hand, of course, you know, we do see all this plastic from, from Coca-Cola in our, in our cleanup systems and in, in the environment. And again, statistics say maybe sort of like 3% of the ocean plastic carries a Coke brand on it. So we thought long about this and it was really one of the hardest decisions we ever had to take. But Ultimately, we figured that excluding them from being part of this part of the solution as well just would be very hard to explain. Like, okay, all the people who don't have anything to do with the plastic problem, they're allowed to join, but then a company like Coke or you know, any other consumer goods company is not allowed to join, which I think doesn't make sense. So what we saw in these conversations is that Coke really recognizes that they have a problem. And that they want to do more uh, to, um, to, to mitigate it. And yeah, and of course we've seen Coke in the previous years really make a change from a company that sort of actively lobbies against things like bottle reposits to, um, to now actually having left the pro-plastics lobby organizations. Uh, they have increased their plastic collection rates. Of course they're <laughs> not nearly there yet where they need to be and I think Obviously, um, it can all go much faster in our views, but still, I don't think that's a reason to then that not allow them to also join on, on cleaning up the pollution that's already in the environment and is already on its way to uh, to the oceans. And one of the things that you just touched upon that I think is really good, though, to, to emphasize is, you know, one of the questions that I had when they first started was, I had this nightmare of like, okay, we're going to be out filming an interceptor and trash going up a conveyor belt and we're going to have, you know, 10 Coke bottles there and they're going to be like, oh, can we use a different shock? But they're not like that, right? No, exactly. So, so the, the spirit we've had these conversations in has been very open and constructive. So uh, they, they know that a lot of the plastic bottles that enter our cleanup system carry Coke brands and of course they wish that wouldn't be the case either but they don't want to hide it you know, they understand that that's just reality right now so that mutual understanding that Coke is part of the problem and that they need to do more I think that's really that's what's what's strong about this uh, this partnership and, and not only do they see that it's a problem and that they are a part of it but they're also saying things. The part that I think is really cool is that even Coke is saying, look, for this, it is not a competition. 
and they're saying, getting, trying to get other bottling companies on board and say, look, and, and so what doors could this open in the future? By Coke just saying, let's all do this, let's all take our part. I don't care if it's a blue bottle, a pink bottle, a, a orange bottle. So I think that's, uh, I think a very strong position that, that Coke is taking is that they say there's, you know, when it comes to this issue, there is, we don't have competition. Uh, we're, we should all work together to, to try and solve this. So, um, you know, there's no exclusivity for Coke to, to work with us. And they have actually explicitly invited their, their competition really to, to also join in uh, to help do more rivers. So I think that was a really good uh, statement that, that came out of the, the, the meetings we've had. Other than that, it's, um, it's also great to see their scale of ambition. So these 15 rivers, you know, they really see that as a, as a start to see whether it, it works, whether we, we indeed complement each other. But then, of course, the next thing is um, that they have the ambition to help us get to a thousand rivers, which, of course, will be really great. One of the other cool partnerships from this year is Coldplay. Mm. They are sponsoring Interceptor 005, which will be going in another Interceptor to be placed in a river in Malaysia. How did that come about? How does a, how does a rock band team up with... Uh, ocean cleanup organization and say, hey, we want an interceptor. Yeah, so sort of through these mutual friends, I got connected to Chris Martin several years ago. And yeah, we quickly headed off and turns out he was, had been passionate about recycling for, for years already in, in this issue. And yeah, it's, it's really, cool to have them on board so then we said okay let's do this partnership um, work together on the next concert tour but also uh, now them adopting this this first um, interceptor of theirs I think is uh, is really great because of course not just having somebody fund an interceptor but also I think the exposure that comes with it because one of the, the the biggest bands in the world right now uh, putting their name to it using their platform to create more visibility for what we do I think is really really exciting so what what's the relationship like with you and, and and the band like are they reaching out to you saying hey where's our interceptor when is it going to be put in the river pretty much yeah <laughs> we text back and forth quite a lot with the band so we um, every time there is you see basically during this manufacturing process of their interceptor neon moon one the um, you see it grow little by little so every time there is a new update from the factory you know, sent through a photo and of course they they're excited to see that thing come come alive so yeah they're they're really heavily sort of emotionally invested in in the project and what do you think about coldplay did you always like their music yeah so uh, i mean so personally i'm I'd say my favorite music is more like, um, you know, like late 70s disco, like new wave, psychedelic rock, which are a bit more niche than Coldplay. But yeah, especially like their older albums, I think are really, really great. And I used to listen to them before I knew Chris, so. 
I remember some of the first times you and I went on shoots or we did stuff together and, and you always have had stuff on your mind. You always are, your brain is always ticking. And for somebody like me to watch that, because my brain's never ticking, it's been fun to watch, but, but I'm curious, like, is this something that you also recognize? Like, is this something that you feel that you've matured over the last years and watched, watched this organization grow and sort of known that, that it's changed you as well? Yeah, so the past eight years have definitely been very intense. And when I started, I didn't know anything about how to run an organization, how to strategize, um, how to develop technology. None of those things I really knew. I just had you know, a lot of enthusiasm and drive to try and do something about this problem. And I guess that's, that is the fundamental, those are the fundamental ingredients to doing something like this because really nobody is an expert or on this until you, you do it. So we just got started and we tried the different things and some things worked, some things didn't. We ran into many roadblocks and sometimes you try and tackle the roadblock head on and sometimes you have to go into reverse and go into a, a different path to try and avoid the roadblock. So yeah, you can learn how to negotiate with reality and how to sort of change reality and yeah, I think that's been quite a very intense but educational journey that we've all been on. Which you've taken with, with an incredible team that you, that you hire. Mm. And, and when you think about the team and you think about the roles that there are all over the organization, not only just you know in the field, but also in Rotterdam in the office. And the, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. Do you sometimes, when you're sitting in the headquarters and you look around at the amount of people that are there and they're all working with you for this cause that everybody is extremely passionate about and puts their heart and soul into it. How does that make you feel? It's, I mean, surely I'm, I'm, I'm immensely proud of, of, the, of the team and all the stuff we achieve. I mean, just spending time with the, the project team here in Guatemala now, it's, uh, it's very impressive to see you know, how, my, how deep the knowledge is of uh, you know, the people who work in waste management or on the, the, the government contracts or the, the interceptor here. So, yeah, so it's, of course, what I look most for in, 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 in the team is besides just having you know, the right level of brain power, it's the, uh, the, 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 the drive to, to really go all in on the issue and uh, the perseverance and ability to you know, just do it, you know, keep going, um, you know, fix it when there's an issue, you know, that, that kind of mentality. I think we see that in, you know, throughout the organization. And I think that's what's key to, to pull off projects like this. So you're wrapping up here in Guatemala. There's a, a very busy road ahead. How do you see the next few months playing out? Like, how would you like to sort of, you know, with all the ocean stuff coming up, with all the deployments of interceptors, 
How do you see the next few months? So the next few months will be very exciting. It's going to be a eventful summer, I think, with the launch of System 2. In that moment of the first extraction, the first time the retention zone gets dragged on the ship and it's full of plastic, that I've been waiting for that moment for at least eight years. So, so that is something I really, really look forward to. And, and beyond that, of course, Guatemala, seeing this being cleaned up behind me is, uh, is another thing I really look forward to. And then we have a few other river deployments we're going to be deploying in LA, which is, uh, yeah, California I think is a place close, close to my heart. So, so seeing that being tackled, I think should also be really exciting. Um, we're going to expand in Malaysia, we're going to deploy in Jamaica with three deployments this year. Yeah, so busy deployment manifests on, on rivers. But the one in Guatemala for sure is because it's so polluted, it's hard for it not to be the most impactful river deployment we've we've done so far. So seeing that in action will be very spectacular, I think. Very cool, man. Well, thanks for hanging out with me. This has been a great, it's been a great week hanging out with you. It's been fun for me to watch you out in these places. It's, uh, it is incredible. And, and I think it adds so much for you to see this and to, you know, get your feet in the bottles like this. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot coming up. So thanks thanks to everybody that listens to this podcast and keep helping us in whatever way you can. And yeah, let's keep doing this. Later. Bye. <laughs>